Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. A pleasure and a privilege uh, to be bringing the word of God to you today. Please excuse my voice. Uh, just been coughing all week. But as we will read in our passage today, uh, we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13 is our passage today. We're taking a break from our John, Gospel of John series. Please turn there or you can look overhead. It will be projected for you. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. Let's give our attention and reverence to the reading of God's word, and may the Holy Spirit bless the reading and preaching of his word. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This is God's word. In 2006, there was a New York Times bestseller by an author named Rhonda Byrne called The Secret. You've probably heard of it, maybe you've seen uh, in different kinds of media. It truly was a global phenomenon when it came out. Uh, it was sold out at every major bookstore. Uh, when this book, The Secret, came out, uh, Oprah loved it so much, she dedicated two episodes to it. And even the UFC champion, Conor McGregor, he credits his success to this book, The Secret. And the book Secret, uh, it's not a Christian book, by Rhonda Byrne, basically it talks about uh, positive vis visualization techniques. That's what it's talking about, just you know, positive thoughts so that you can get uh, what you want, so that you could achieve your goals, so that you could be successful. And I think that's why the book was so successful, because it claimed to offer the secret of how to be successful, right? And everybody wanted that. Everyone wanted to know that secret. And of course, this was more than 10 years ago. Uh, eventually, people realized this was kind of the same, same old stuff that the uh, inspirational speakers and the self-help gurus, and unfortunately, even some churches were already saying for a long time, and they realized that now, you know, more than 10 years later, uh, that book is really more the butt of jokes than anything else. But at the time, everyone wanted to know the secret. Now in our passage today in Philippians chapter four, Paul offers a very different kind of secret. He says, I know, I've learned this secret. But it's a very different one. It's not the secret to success, but it's the secret to contentment. The secret to being content. And it's very different, that's a very different kind of a secret. Rhonda Byrne's secret was trying to tell you how to be happy by getting what you want, by fulfilling your goals and dreams. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, his secret is telling you how to be happy even when you don't get what you want. Two very different kinds of secrets. And of course, Paul is talking about this secret of contentment even as he is writing from prison, as we know, the book of Philippians. He, he's, I'm sure that's not something he wants. That's not, some, that's not an ideal circumstance and scenario and situation. And yet all throughout the book of Philippians, he's talking constantly about rejoicing in the Lord and, and his secret to contentment. 
The Puritan pastor, Jeremiah Brose, he wrote a very famous book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And he defines Christian contentment like this. He says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. In other words, Christian contentment is basically saying, in any circumstance, I know that God is wise, I know that God has a father's love towards me, right, he's my heavenly father. And so I can, as Jeremiah Burrow says, I can submit, freely submit to whatever circumstance I find myself in. In other words, I can accept it. I may not know why this is happening, I may not even like it, but I can accept it, I can submit to it. But he goes further, he says, and delights in whatever circumstance. That's harder, right? To say, you know what, God, even if this is something I don't want, this is not my way, this is not what I wanted, I can delight, I can rejoice. I can, I can say, I wanna glorify you, God, in this circumstance. That's how Jeremiah Burroughs defines Christian contentment. And this is such a, contentment is such an important part of the Christian life that perhaps we kinda neglect. Maybe it's a little bit of a lost art I think that many of us, I mean, beginning with myself, we like Rhonda Byrne's secret a little bit more than Apostle Paul's. We like the secret to success a little more than the secret to contentment. And so much of our folly and misery is because we want that secret instead of the real one. I think, I'm sure there are many of you in this room today who are quite good at godly contentment. I praise God for that. Uh, but if you're anything like me, I'm, I'm gonna assume the majority of us are better at discontentment than contentment. So I'm actually gonna frame this message in three points regarding discontentment. Uh, you know, I, I gave you this really nice, great Puritan definition of contentment. Let me define discontentment very simply and just as this. Discontentment is the heart that persistently says it is not enough. It's not enough. I don't have enough. I'm not enough. I haven't done enough. I haven't received enough, right? That is discontentment. And there's just three things uh, we'll talk about today. First, the ease of discontentment. Secondly, the end, or hopefully at least the beginning of the end of discontentment. And then lastly, encouragements for the discontent. The ease of discontentment. Discontentment is easy. I think we can all agree on that. Discontentment is very easy. Contentment, not so much. Right, even in our passage in verse 11 of our text, Paul actually says, I have learned how to be content in every situation. It's something he had to learn. It's something that he had to be trained to do by God. It's something that he had to grow in a process from God to do to have this, this godly contentment. It doesn't come naturally. Uh, we're often, uh, it, it often feels like we're born discontent, right? The moment you come out of the womb, you're like, I don't like this air. And then you start crying, right? You're discontent. And you don't, no one has to really teach you how to be discontent. No one has to really try that hard to learn how to be discontent. And in fact, Satan works very hard for us to be discontent. Satan's delight is your discontentment. Think about even just from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. They were in paradise. They were with God. They walked and talked with God. They had everything they needed. And yet Satan somehow managed to get them to feel discontentment about their situation. 
Satan somehow managed to get them to, to be discontent about the one tree that they could not eat from when they had this whole garden paradise for themselves. He somehow managed to get them to be discontent about the fact that they were not like God. Instead of being content about being with God, they became discontent that they were not like God and therefore they wanted to eat the fruit. And that discontentment brought down the whole world, didn't it? Satan delights in our discontentment. And the world and all the systems of the world works very hard also to make us discontent. Just think about just, think about just everything in this world, the, the American dream, the pursuit of happiness, which is really just the pursuit of wealth, right? Uh, keeping up with the Joneses. You know, that's kind of an old school phrase. I would say nowadays it's not so much keeping up with the Joneses because that's keeping up with your neighbors, but it's more like keeping up with everybody on, on Facebook, right? Uh, or how about just keeping up with technology where every, it seems like just every day there's a new kind of technological product that makes you feel like the ones you have are obsolete, right? Planned obsolescence. And even just uh, the field of marketing, it relies on your discontentment. It really does. And so the world is working hard and making us discontent. And even on top of this, of Satan and the world, we even just have our own sinful nature. As I mentioned, from the womb, we're discontent. I, I have a friend of mine who jokingly would tell me that when he was a, a little boy, he would always look at his older brother's plate at the dinner table. And even though they were eating the exact same thing, he always wanted the food on his brother's plate. He said, no, yours is better. Yours looks better. I want that. And he would always look at his brother's plate. And isn't that all of our natures, right? We love to look at our brother's plate. We love to look at our neighbor's plate. We love to, you know, once again, thanks to social media, we love to look at our acquaintance's plate that, you know, we don't even talk to him anymore, but we still are looking at his plate. Sometimes, quite literally, you're looking at the plate that he put on his, uh, he took a photo of, right, and he put on Facebook. We are always looking at at our brother's plate, and you know, that, that's a harmless example from my friend, it's a, it's a funny one, it's a cute one. But let's not forget that when it comes to brothers, there's another story about brothers. The first murder in human history also came from a heart of discontentment, of comparison, of saying, hey, how come you get this favor and not me? And that actually led to the first murder. And God is very aware of this, which is why he gives us the 10th commandment. Right, the 10th commandment which says, you shall not covet that which belongs to your neighbor. If you really think about the 10th commandment, that's really ultimately just getting at a heart of discontentment. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says that ultimately it, the 10th commandment is about contentment. And so if, if contentment is a command, then that actually means discontentment, the discontent heart, the persistent heart that says, it's not enough. I don't have enough. God is not enough. That comes from a sinful place. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 73. It's a very long Psalm, so I mean, I wish I could just read it for you all right now. Uh, that would do it better justice. But please uh, take a moment to read it when you have uh, time later on. It's such a one, my favorite, it's such a wonderful Psalm. It's a Psalm of Asaph where he talks about, he gives his warning and he says, brother, sisters, I had almost slipped. My foot had almost slipped. I want to warn you. I want to warn you against this heart of discontentment that I had. And he talks about how he would always feel like he had the shorter end of the stick. 
He always got the shorter end of the stick. Uh, he, he always felt like everyone else, even people who are much more wicked than me, are more prosperous than me. That's, that's not right. And he, t- and he talks about how in his, in his heart of discontentment and bitterness, it even got very exaggerated where he said, all day, every day, all the time, I am suffering. Always, I'm just always suffering. And he says, he even dares to say these words, I have kept my heart clean, I have kept my hands clean in vain. What's the point? What's the point of all this? And, and this was his discontent heart. And then, of course, you know, it's a wonderful story where he finally realizes the folly of that heart, the folly of that attitude, and he actually repents and he goes to God and he says, I was ignorant and brutish towards you, God, in my discontentment, in always saying I don't have enough, in always saying why does everyone have better than me, I was a brute, I was ignorant. He says, I was a beast towards you, God. And he realizes what a sinful heart that came from. And yet it's so easy, it's so easy to feel discontentment. Uh, Everyone is working very hard to make you feel discontentment. I do wanna clarify, I don't want us to get it twisted. Uh, There is a difference between contentment and complacency or uh, contentment and stoicism. Right? Some of you might be thinking, well, I never feel discontent. Well, hopefully it's not because you're complacent. Right? Like, hopefully it's not just because you don't care about anything. Or uh, hopefully it's not because you're sto- you're you happen to be a stoic person where just nothing really affects you, at least on the outside. Those are very different things. Uh, in fact, it's, it's quite natural and appropriate when bad things happen to you or bad things happen around you uh, to not like that, to, to be unhappy about that. Uh, throughout the Bible, we see very many examples of godly grieving, of godly even complaining, of godly mourning. I like how one pastor puts it. The difference between godly complaint and ungodly complaint is that godly complaint goes to God and brings your complaint to God. It says, God, here's all these things I'm complaining about, all the things that are, that are difficult, all these things that are not, are not good. The ungodly complaint goes to God with that complaint and complains about God, right? Instead of bringing the complaints to him, we complain about him. God, there's something wrong with you. You must not have this right. How could you possibly allow this? That's a complaint about God. But it is very natural, so please don't get me wrong. You can have godly complaints, godly mourning. Once again, Satan, the world, our sinful natures all working very hard to make discontentment very easy for you and for me. So how do we reach the end of discontentment, or at least the beginning of the end? If all these things are working so hard against us, how do we get contentment? Well, here's what won't work, right? Here's what won't work. I'm sure you've all experienced this to, to, for yourself in your own lives. Here's what won't work. Just simply doing more and getting more. That's not, gonna, that's not gonna lead to the end of discontentment. Right? Just, just doing more, doing more work, doing more play, doing more travel. Right? These things are not gonna end discontentment. Or, or simply getting more, getting more accomplishments, getting more accolades, getting more relationships. Or just, of course, the, the good old fashioned getting more stuff. Right? That will not end our discontentment. Satan likes to lie to our hearts to, to tell us that this could make you content. But I'm sure you've all experienced this yourselves already, that it will not lead to the end of discontentment. 
It's a lie, right? It's a lie that says, if only I just had blank, then I could be happy. If only I just had blank, then I could really experience contentment in life. If only I just had uh, this kind of salary. If only I just had this kind of body. If only I just had uh, this kind of spouse or this kind of children, then I'd be content. But we know that's a lie. The billionaire and former Vice President Nelson Rockefeller was asked, how much money does it take to be happy? What's like, the, as someone who's accrued so much wealth and inherited so much wealth, what's like the baseline to make you happy? That, that, that's just what you need. You know what he said? You know what was his answer? Just a little bit more. Always, always, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more, and then I'll be happy. And there are numerous studies done about how uh, depression and suicide rates are actually higher in more affluent areas. Right, that, that's evidence of the lie that just simply doing more and getting more will lead to contentment. That is the lie. And okay, so okay, we, we get that's a lie. All right, just doing more and getting more won't lead to the end of discontentment. What about just good advice? Good advice. You know, it's Thanksgiving this Thursday. It's about the time where we start to say things like, count your blessings, everyone. Count your blessings. You know, or Oprah likes to say, uh, don't focus on what you don't have. Be thankful for what you have. Not bad things. Great advice, actually. We need to say those things to ourselves. We need to know that. Uh, you know, or like your parents used to say, don't you know there's people starving in other parts of the world? Be thankful, right? Uh, but I think we all know that good advice, that intellectual exercise of knowing those things, that's not what's going to ultimately lead to the end of discontentment. I don't think anyone ever heard from their mom. Don't you know there's people starving in the world? I don't think that ever made you say, you know what, I'm perfectly content now. Now that I know people are starving. The Puritan pastor, my favorite Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, he actually said that the discontent heart is like a leaky ship. That discontentment is actually a heart issue and it's like a leaky ship. Right, the storms come and then the, the ship sinks, right, because all the water got in. But we like to say, well, the problem was the storm. The problem was the storm. That's why the ship sank. But, but Thomas Watson's point is, it's actually the leaks. It's actually that leaky heart. It's a leaky ship. Right? Because if it wasn't leaky, if it was a content heart without the leaks, as the storm comes and goes, it would still remain. And, and the point is, we like to say, oh, you know, like, I, I've, I've gone through a lot of bad times where it was very stressful, but the stressor went away, so I'm good now. I'm fine now. But so often, we need to realize that we're not fine. We still have the leaks. It's just that the storm went away. And when the storm comes back or another storm comes, we will sink once again. And Thomas Watson's point is the content heart gets rid of those leaks. So how do we get that? How do we get rid of those leaks? What is Paul's secret that we see in Philippians 4? Well, before we look at Philippians, let's go back to Psalm 73, my favorite. I got quoted twice. Asaph in Psalm 73, he's wrestling. He's saying, I'm always getting the shorter end of the stick. These wicked people are prospering better than me. Well, how does he change? How does he change? It's so beautiful. I can't do it justice with a summary. Look it up. About right in the middle of that psalm, the, the, the turning point comes when Asaph steps into the sanctuary. The bitterness, the discontentment, the comparison all melts away when he steps into the sanctuary. 
when he meets with God. That's what does it for him. And then he's even able to conclude so boldly and beautifully, whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That's such a beautiful climax to that beautiful psalm. That's how Asaph finds the end of discontentment. He steps into the sanctuary. He meets with God. And Paul actually is no different. You know, we, we read from Philippians 4, but just one chapter before, uh, he actually is kind of on the flip side. He, he talks about all the great things in his life. He talks about his resume. He talks about his credentials and his pedigree. And he lists them all off. It's quite impressive. And you're like, dude, well, are you flexing or something? What's going on? Why are you doing that? And then he says, this is all, I count all of this, what? Rubbish. I count all of this as garbage. Some commentators will tell you in the original Greek, actually that word means dung. I count my accolades. I count my resume, my credentials. All my accomplishments is doo-doo. It's dung. Why though? Why? Compared to what? Compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For Asaph, the discontentment in comparison, all that melted away because he met with God in the sanctuary. For Paul, it's the same thing, but even on the flip side, all my credentials and, 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 and pedigree melt away because I know Jesus Christ, because I have a relationship with him. Know God and you will know contentment. Begin to know God and you will begin to know contentment. You guys all know by now, uh, I'm a pretty big Star Wars fan. Very excited about the new one coming up. I already have tickets. That's what a, how big of a nerd I am. And I remember in college, because I love Star Wars so much, in a moment of foolish uh, exuberance, I, I, I actually was able to say, you know what? The story of Star Wars is like the story of the gospel. And my pastor at that time, he like honed in on that. He like zoomed in, he like used it as a teaching moment. He said, no, Daniel, no. Star Wars is not like the gospel. I said, oh, okay. I mean, I'm not saying it's like exactly the same. But he said, you know why it's not like the gospel? Because in Star Wars, the force is just this impersonal thing that's just there and just just kind of in the air or whatever it is and it helps you and it helps you beat Darth Vader or whatever. It's just, it's, just, it's just an impersonal thing. But God is not some impersonal force. He is a person. God is a person. And I remember at the time I just thought, well, yeah, I'm not saying it's like, you know, the exact same thing. But in retrospect, you know, that was so many years ago. In retrospect, I'm so thankful he reminded me of that. Because it reminded me of truly the kind of a big part of that secret of contentment. So often, I do think, especially for us as Christians and for those of us who experience persistent discontentment, I think so often it's because God is just the force to us. God is just this impersonal force that just is here to help me. You know, when I'm coughing and I feel sick, then he's gonna make me feel better. Or if I'm nervous about something or there's something big coming up, then he's gonna help me do that well. But he's just some force. You know, he just helps me to beat the bad guys. But Paul says otherwise. Paul's secret 
in our passage today is not some technique. It's not just some good advice. It's not just some impersonal force. Paul's secret is a person. Paul's secret is our savior, Jesus Christ. That's why he's able to conclude in our passage in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, through him. The him is the most important part in that verse. It's that person. It's God, it's Jesus. Right, I said, I, I kind of quoted the verse earlier uh, before I started the message. I was kind of being facetious, joking a little bit, you know, kind of misquoting it a little bit. But you know, Philippians 4.13 is, is a very favorite uh, verse of a lot of Christians, isn't it? You've heard, you've heard it quoted many times. Uh, I've seen it tattooed on people many times. Um, I had a buddy who, even on his Facebook profile, on the part where you, where you indicate what religion you're from, instead of writing Christianity, he wrote Philippians 4.13. Right? That's how much he liked it. Uh, we love that verse. We love it. But my, my fear is that we love that verse because we misunderstand that verse. That we quote that verse so much, but we're often misquoting that verse. The misinterpretation of Philippians 4.13 is to make it just a slogan. Right? It's just make it like a sports slogan. Just do it. Impossible is nothing. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Just, they're all about the same. But that's not Paul's point, right? If we read it, as we read the context of Philippians 4.13, the verses before it, Paul is saying, I, I know what it's like to have plenty, to be a winner, but I also know what it's like to be in want, to suffer, to be in jail, to be in poverty. And that's when he says, I can do all things. That, those are the all things he's talking about. I can win through him who strengthens me. Yes, yes, it's true. We give him all the credit and glory when things are going well. But Paul is saying, I can also lose. I can also fail through him who strengthens me. And at the end of the day, what matters is that it is still him that strengthens me. That's the secret of contentment that Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has for you. Not some technique or advice or some force, but the person of Jesus Christ. When God is just the Gatorade that quenches your thirst, or when God is just the shoes that help you run faster, or when God is just the force that helps you beat your enemy, I do guarantee you, you will not experience contentment. You will not find the end of discontentment. But when God is a person, when God is that person who comes to you and says, I want a relationship with you, I shall never leave you or forsake you. When God is a person who would come down to this earth and go up to a cross and shed his blood so that you can have a relationship with him, so that you could belong to him. When he is that person and you know him personally, that's when you start to see the end of discontentment. That's when you start to be able to say, whom have I in heaven but you? My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God is my portion. God is everything I need. God is my strength. He's my joy when I'm failing and when I'm winning. When, I'm, when, I'm, when I feel like a loser, God is my portion and my strength. Anybody here feel like a loser today? Raise your hand if you feel like a loser. I'm just kidding, don't raise your hand, that's kind of sad. 
But if you do feel like a loser, if you feel like lately you've been losing, or maybe all your life you feel like you've been losing, losing money, losing relationships, losing respect, let me tell you right now, Philippians 4.13 is for you. You can lose through Christ who strengthens you. You can rejoice even in those circumstances. Why? Not because we're crazy and we're just, we're just uh, ignoring and neglecting what's going on, but because we know we have a greater portion. But be- because we know we have a wise and mighty and fatherly God who knows what he's doing, even when we don't. And we can actually glorify him in those things. We can actually glorify him whether we're winning or losing. And that's the end of this contentment. Paul's secret is our savior, a person, Jesus Christ. Knowing him personally. Not knowing the force. Not knowing good advice. Not knowing some good techniques. But knowing Jesus. You know, actually, uh, Paul uses this word secret. You know, and anytime you see in the New Testament the word secret or mystery, you have to realize it's not actually a secret anymore. Paul is is always referring to, when he says the secret or the mystery, he's referring just to the gospel. It was a secret before. People didn't know who Jesus was going to, who the Messiah was going to be, that it was going to be Jesus of Nazareth dying on a cross. But now we know the secret. It is plain to us, for you and for me, who belong to him. That is Paul's secret. And that is the end of discontentment. As we close, I just have four very quick encouragements for the discontent. You know, we all experience it. We all, we all wrestle with discontentment in different ways. Some of us more than others, maybe. But let me give you just four quick encouragements and then we'll close. First, Jesus died for your discontentment. You know, we talked about discontentment being a sin. Yes, it is. It does come from a sinful place in our hearts. But let me assure you and comfort you and, and, and rejoice with you, rest with you, the fact that Jesus died for your discontentment. It is not your contentment that saves you. Please don't walk out of here saying, oh, if I want to be a good Christian, I got to be more content. And then, you know, that's how Jesus will love me more. That's how I'll be a real good Christian. No, please, it doesn't work that way. Your contentment cannot save you. But because you are saved, we have every reason to be content more and more. So that's the first encouragement. Jesus died for your discontentment. His blood was shed for that sin as well as all our sins. Secondly, pray your discontentment. You can pray your discontentment. You gotta pray. If if, if God is a person, you you know what makes a person not feel like a person anymore is if you just don't talk to them. Right, just don't talk to that person and that person uh, becomes not a person anymore, at least in your eyes. Right, if you're mad at your spouse, just stop talking to them. And, and it won't feel very personal anymore. Right, we gotta pray our discontentment. James 5.13 says, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. What a, what a great uh, summary, practical application summary of our passage, actually. If you're, if you're doing great, if you're doing well, praise God, I'm glad you are, and praise him. Sing praise to him. Give him the credit. Give him the glory. Stay humble. But if, any of you, if anyone among you is suffering, pray. Pray your discontentment. Thomas Watson, once again, here's what he says. He says, prayer gives vent. This is long before the, the slang, venting, uh, came out, right? So maybe, maybe Thomas Watson invented that slang. Prayer gives vent. 
When the heart is filled with sorrow and disquiet, prayer lets out the bad blood. Prayer is the unbosoming of the soul, the unloading of all our cares in God's breast. And this ushers in sweet contentment. Pray your discontentment. Jesus died for your discontentment. Pray your discontentment. Third, there are many benefits to contentment. I want to encourage you to pursue contentment because there are many benefits to it as well. It glorifies God. Think about this. Hey, there are many things, but it's a great witness, the, the heart of contentment, isn't it? Can you imagine an unbelieving, non, non-believing friend or family member seeing your heart of contentment, seeing you humble in victory, but resilient in, in failure? Can you imagine someone seeing that and, and not saying, oh, I wouldn't want that, or why would I want that? Right? They, they would say, I, I wanna know what your secret is. I wanna know what's strengthening you. I wanna know where you get that from. What a witness contentment would be. Or how about this, how about this benefit, just how we treat people. A content heart loves well. You know, Paul in, in uh, 1 Corinthians calls us to rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. You can only do that when, you're, when you have a heart of contentment. A heart of discontentment actually twists things. It makes us weep when others rejoice. And it makes us rejoice when others weep. It twists things up. But a content heart loves well. Or the last benefit, how you serve. If, as you guys serve, serve your family, serve your church, serve in your workplace. As you serve, as you take on the heart of a servant, as Christ was a servant to you and me, I guarantee you, if you want to burn out, if you, if you like burning out, if you like that feeling for some reason, some crazy reason, just do it with a heart of discontentment. Straight shot to burnout. Straight shot. Right? Whereas a heart of contentment, you, you serve from an overflow. You serve not to gain, not to prove yourself, not, to, not so you could be more loved, but because you are so loved. So some benefits for you. Jesus died for our discontentment. You can pray your discontentment. There are many benefits to contentment. And lastly, the last encouragement, and we close. There is such thing as godly discontentment. There is. There is such thing as godly discontentment. And so I want to encourage you, maybe for some of you, or maybe for many of you, if you are always feeling this kind of discontent feeling, just something's not right. Something's not right in the world. Something's not right in my heart. Let me encourage you, it might be a godly one. C.S. Lewis said it best. If we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Godly discontentment yearns for heaven. Godly discontentment longs to see Christ face to face. 2 Corinthians 5 says we groan for heaven. And that sort of discontentment, godly discontentment, doesn't make us miserable. It makes us run to Christ all the more. Saying, come Lord Jesus, come. Just as we sang earlier today. So those are my four encouragements for you as we close. Jesus died for your discontentment. You can pray, please pray your discontentment. Consider the many benefits of contentment. And perhaps you have a godly discontentment. That's a good thing. Christ Central, as I look at all of you in, in, in the congregation, you know, I, I want you to be happy. 
right? Every, every pastor wants the people at the church to be happy, especially during the holidays. But I am convinced that happiness is way less important than contentment. Truly, truly, there is great gain in contentment. When we are able to say, whatever comes, whether I'm winning or losing, whether I have a lot or a little, I can do all of that through him who strengthens me. Because my secret is not some technique or force or, or, or advice, but because my secret is a savior who died on the cross for me. And he is all I need. He is my portion. He is enough. Let's pray.